Every gamer has that one game they want all of their friends to play. Maybe it's old. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's obscure. Or maybe it's the game that everyone is playing. Whatever it is, it's that one game you love to talk about. Join us as we ask each other to try this game. So, Adam, E3 has come and gone. It has. And we can hardly be accused of being an up-to-the-minute, uh, <laughs> you know, super contemporary uh, video game podcast because the first game we talked about was from 1982. But, it, you know, when you had said, well, let's do something about E3, and I wasn't sure that was going to work, and what we came up with was a discussion episode, the title of which is How to Make Us Want to Buy a Game. And... You know, I had to sort of think about that because, you know, like you, I watch E3. I don't watch the presentations because I'm not interested in listening to an executive blow smoke up my butt. But I watch all the trailers and I read the details after of the features. And it got me thinking, especially after the debacle of Cyberpunk 2077, it got me thinking about, you know, what does it take to impress Farron to make him want to buy a game? Because it's not what it used to be. I'm older and wiser and have less money. Um, <laughs> So I think I'll just jump right in okay. and say that the first thing to the first thing you as a developer should do to make me want a game is show me or give me an idea of gameplay. Yeah. Um, now, if you're advertising the latest Battlefield or the latest Call of Duty or the latest Assassin's Creed, you don't have to tell me that it's a first person shooter in a big battlefield or it's a third person stealth stab simulator. I, I know that because there have been 50 of these games. But show me the details of what's new so the ex and i'm gonna keep coming back to these the assassin's creed valhalla intro trailer from last year and the battlefield 2042 trailer from this year both of them show you the details of the gameplay beyond the obvious it's a first person shooter or whatever right so with valhalla yeah we know what it's like we know you know you're gonna have weapons and you're gonna stab a lot of people and jump on them and and, and whatever but it shows you these massive land battles and these sieges okay there's sieges involved and it shows you life in the village so okay there's going to be a village building mechanic like there was in the assassin's creed 2 trilogy and assassin's creed 3. Right. that's important information for battlefield 2042 it shows us you know buildings collapsing and stuff like that so we know that the mechanic from battlefield 4 where the environment will change as you're playing we know that's back and so i have some idea of what it is i'm into obviously if it's a game you've never seen before you want some idea of what the hell this is about. Like, you know, we covered XCOM, the modern day XCOMs. Right. When they released a trailer, it was all cinematic and it would, you know, other than, yeah, you're defending the world against aliens. They made the smart decision to release two screenshots. That's it. Two screenshots of the tactical system that show you the outlines of how far you can move with one of your actions and how far you can move with two of your actions. Mm -hmm. And they were simple screenshots. They were from the same battle in a forest but immediately you understood, okay, this is how they're doing it. They're not using time units like the original XCOM. It's a one, two move system. You, there's cover. I can see this guy is at half cover because of the icon. Like those screenshots communicated a lot. And when people, and when they had announced, oh yeah, there's this new XCOM coming out. People went, oh, I don't know. But Firaxis said, let me show you what it's about. Let me show you the gameplay. 
and it worked. Because when you don't show me the gameplay, when I have no idea what it is I'm doing, like there was some game that came out, or I'm not sure if it's even out. They advertised it, I think a couple years ago, called Ghostwire Tokyo. Ghostwire, it sounds familiar. Something like a ghost something Tokyo. What the hell is it? It's a cool trailer, don't get me wrong. But I'm looking at this and going, is this a game? Like, <laughs> I, I, like I, I don't know. And that's the problem. When you have no idea what it is you're looking at, then, you know, you're, you're forced to make assumptions and that becomes a problem. Like, did you ever see the first trailer for Cyberpunk 2077? The yeah, slow motion yeah. trailer of them shooting at the robot woman? Yeah. That could have been satellite rain. It could have yeah, been it, anything. It frankly. really could have been. You and know, that's... but people, I think people looked at, oh, it's CD Projekt Red and it's going to be like the cyberpunk version of of Witcher 3 and so people had this idea in their head and holy shit were they wrong mm -hmm. because they didn't tell you what the game was about like they didn't tell you anything tell me something you know oh, 100% it's it's a big reason for me why cinematic trailers do not induce hype for me on a like even if it's just like a purely core tenant level I do not get excited over a cinematic trailer I'll get excited over a gameplay trailer mm -hmm. because then I can see what's happening here yeah but it's it, it's just not something that does it for me but something that does do it for me mm -hmm. is um booth babes no <laughs> I haven't been to enough cons with booth babes so. yeah um they actually end those eventually but anyway sorry carry on for the better probably <laughs> anyways Absolutely. um so one of the things that really, really will get me is playing on a sense of nostalgia and moving forward and evolving on it. So one game that was just shown off this year is Elden Ring. Uh, <laughs> to anybody who is familiar with this podcast, you know that I love Dark Souls. I love From Software. I love Sekiro and Bloodborne and blah, blah, blah. I like anything pain, that they touch. Pain, misery. Uh, and... Yeah. I uh, still haven't played the Kingsfield series or uh, Armored Core, but I would like to go back and play those at some point in time because those are yeah. both From Soft properties as well. Mm -hmm. But so what happened with Elden Ring was it was announced two years ago. The announcement was that it was a FromSoft property uh, and they were attaching George R. R. Martin to it to write the, the world, not the story of the game, but like de decide what the world is yeah. prior to the inciting incident of the game. And that got everybody super excited. We saw one trailer for it and it was a cinematic trailer. And so you had to just kind of temper your expectations. But the fact that we had nothing for two years, yeah, two years, and then they dropped this big old bombshell on us, which looks like just crunchy Dark Souls ass Dark Souls combat with new amazing abilities, a horse that you like a spirit horse that you summon, jump onto the back of and you can fly up the side of cliffs. It's just it looks so good. And there's a little pot boy and that's the doesn't mean anything to yeah. most people but if you've watched the trailer then you know if you know yeah. um but it's, it's it's really good i highly recommend you check it out even if it's got no appeal for you to play yep. it is so interesting just to mm -hmm. look at and kind of take a stop and just really analyze what a screen says every once in a while yeah. uh but tugging on that the fact that like i don't know if it wasn't the plan to do this two-year gap mm -hmm. but it worked yeah. It 100% worked on me. It really? made, like, the second that this game drops, I am in. I am yeah. all in. And, you know, it's funny because when... Uh, I, I hate it when a developer drops you a hint and then disappears. Mm -hmm. Like, then what was the point of that? Yeah. But I find it frustrating, but that's me. I, I don't like to be strung along. I, I don't like surprises. 
Yeah. Um, but that's but that's me. That's my problem. Um, I I would imagine that if it was a developer that I wasn't quite so passionate about, it probably wouldn't have worked. Uh, but yeah. the fact that it was from Soft, it's kind of given. Yeah, fair. <laughs> that's that's fair. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll go into my second point. For me, like I, I actually like uh, cinematic trailers. I, I love the look of them. I actually have all of the cinematic trailers ever made for every Assassin's Creed game. Oh, really? And sometimes I watch them because they're just gorgeous and they tell an interesting story. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm going to move into now, which is the narrative of a trailer. Mm -hmm. When you show me a trailer, I want you to tell me a story. It can either be the story of the game or about the game. So let right. me tell you what I mean the difference there. So if you're going to tell me the story of the game, I'm going to learn about what I'm doing. Well, it's Valhalla, and I'm taking on the local king. And okay, now I know the story. I'm a Viking taking on a king in um, in, in pre-Norman England. Okay, cool. But sometimes there isn't a story to tell, like Battlefield 2042. I, I, there's there's not even a single-player campaign in the game, which sadly I can't play because it's first person. But nonetheless, I watched the trailer, and it tells a story. Did you see the trailer for Battlefield 2042? Yes, I did. It looked okay. really, really good. I saw the cinematic one and the the gameplay one that they did yeah. as well. Uh, the only one I saw was the one with the wingsuits. I think that's the the mm. cinematic. Yeah, and they, they showed there's a the tornado. Uh, I think so. Yeah. So there's this one bit in the trailer where the guy ejects from his plane, whips out his rocket launcher, knocks out another plane, gets back in his plane, and flies away. Now that's I love a reference. That. Yeah, that's a reference to a maneuver people have been yeah. doing for quite some time in these games. And it's a it's a simple story. It's not complex. It's a 10-second story. But here's what that does. It tells the player, one, the wackiness of the Battlefield games where you are going to do things that it never occurred to the developers you would do. That's there for you. But it also shows that the developers are respecting the players by showing, we know you do this crazy stuff. We're going to make it possible, and here is us taking the time to put it in a cinematic trailer. And that tells its own story, and it gives you information. And I appreciate that. Even though it has nothing, there's no, it's not, like, this game is not about guys who eject from their planes and take out other planes. That's not <laughs> what this is. This yeah. is not just cause. It's, it's telling you a story not from within the game, but it's telling you a story. Let me tell you how this game will play when you have it in your hands. And I think that's super, super cool. I like games that, like, because not every game can tell you the story, right? Sure. Yeah. No, but of course. It, but it can tell you something about the gameplay. It can tell you something about how the developers view the game. Do they think it's funny? Do they know it's wacky? Do they take it deadly serious? <laughs> and that's a message in and of itself. And it's all about, and this is true, I think, of everything at E3 and every game reveal ever, is that there's a difference between uh, mood and tone in a movie. Mood is how the characters feel about the movie, and tone is how the writer feels about the movie. So scary movie, the mood is horror, the tone is comedy, because obviously it's meant to be funny, but the people don't know they're in a comedy. They think they're in a horror film. And I think that trailers are getting there. There's more storytelling in them it's no longer let me just show you five minutes of gameplay there was yeah. an rt yeah there was an rts that came out in the 90s called total annihilation and they were blunt you know what their advertisement was it was a fold out in pc gamer magazine it was two pages and it was just a screenshot of the game that's it <laughs> look at look at the you know look at the the topographical nature of it look how good the graphics are look how many uh how many units can be on the field that's this that, now you know what to expect and yeah. That was, you know, there was no storytelling involved. There didn't have to be. 
But now you have to tell a story because games are capable of telling a story much better than they ever were. So now you have to put more effort into it. Now trailers are their own thing. You you hire, sometimes you actually hire an external developer. To, you give them your assets and they tell a story. And I think that's important. And I think it helps people want to buy the game. Like I would totally be buying Battlefield 2042 if I wasn't worried I'd like barf on the keyboard. And um, that's fair. I think that that's an, a reasonable objection for somebody yeah. with motion sickness. But you know what? I've I saved the trailer. I've watched it a bunch of times. That's fair enough. Well, you know, for me, one of the things that when we're coming out of E3, we've got lots of big budget AAA games that are over the top and outstanding. And wow, look at this. Bing, bang, kaboom. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the other stuff that I really, really love watching is anything that looks just just stands out by virtue of being different mm -hmm. um and i i was just trying to scroll through my notes here and try and find this one very specific uh oh death trash so it was this <laughs> yeah. death so, trash death trash let me okay let, let me let me quickly double check that i've got this death trash video game yeah there it is okay so <laughs> death is trash this, is, is this like a gritty retelling of like uh, like Oscar the Grouch? No. So this is a three-quarter view isometric RPG that is a Lovecraftian dystopian cyberpunk with a severe pixel art aesthetic, and it is gorgeous. And I, I saw this... up as we talk. <laughs> Carry yeah, on. I saw this crop up, and I went, oh my god. I need this in my life. Oh my it, god. Right? It looks like um, like Baldur's Gate or Pillars of Eternity or yeah. Wow, I will never play this, but it looks badass. It looks beautiful and horrifying. Ah. But oh my god, gorgeous. yes. This is I, Cthulhu meets HR Giger. Yeah, exactly. It, like like I said, Lovecraftian Cyberpunk wow. is the tone for this game. That's wild. I know, and I saw that and I went, Oh my I'm gonna I'm going to never sleep with the lights off for like a month after <laughs> I play this, but I want to play it. And just by virtue of the fact that it looked so different and the tone that it presented from everything else was completely bloody different. It was, It's not trying to be a AAA game, but you can tell that this is someone's passion project because yeah. nobody makes a Lovecraftian cyberpunk game in pixel art style to try and become a trillionaire off of that is yeah, because you, they want to put that people who wants it yeah yes yeah. i appreciate that like this is the frustrating thing about e3 is that the games that get the most attention are the ones that they hope to sell five million copies those are yeah. almost never the good ones um i mean sometimes they are don't get me wrong i love sure. assassin's creed but you know i remember you, you ever see the game uh, cloud punk yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. At some point, I think we're going to do it. It's it's a third-person game in uh, Cyberpunk. You play a you fly a hover, well, mm -hmm. a hover car, and you're a, like a, a courier, and you fly through the city, and, and it's very, very cool. Think of Blade Runner meets the city from The Fifth Element okay. uh, with, few, with fewer multi-passes. But it's, yeah. it's very pixelated, but it's gorgeous-looking. And I remember when they showed the trailer, they don't have the money for a, a cinematic trailer. They just showed the game. Right, and, and it was different. Like, I'm playing a courier. How lame is that? And then you look at it and go, "Oh my god, I gotta play this game. It's gorgeous looking." And yeah. and the game isn't gonna make a ton of money, but 
you know, it is what it is, and it attracts a very particular audience. And then you know what they did? They added to it. They added a first-person view so you could see it from inside your car. And they're adding racing because they've made so much money off this game because they, they managed to advertise it well enough that it it worked. And, and it worked for the people who loved it and they evangelized it to their friends and one day we'll evangelize it to our audience and so there's more money so they add more and I think that's super cool yeah um, absolutely you know like you say it's it, it's sometimes it's the one it's the games that they don't want to be all things to all men they just want to be one thing to one dude and maybe that works and maybe it doesn't like Domina how many people were going to be interested in that game and yet it did exceptionally well yeah Exactly. Because it turned such a such a niche thing. Yeah, but it works. Like roguelikes, those are niche games, and yet there is an audience, and you can be sure that if you make a roguelike and it's of quality, the roguelike audience will come to you. Yes. You know, and like Titan Souls, that's mm. right up your alley, terrifyingly yes. so. <laughs> but the fact is, that didn't need to be a AAA game, did it? No, God no. If it would have been ruined by being a AAA game, it would have been yeah. uh, focused for all about, Yeah, because it's all about the aesthetic, which is you know, it, it's pixelated and all that. But they knew who they wanted to appeal to, and they went for it. And I love that. Um, yeah. And I just like you. I like games that say we're going to do something a little different. It's not another Mario Kart. It's not another Call of Duty or another Assassin's Creed. Don't get me wrong. I love all those games. I'm sure. going to play Mario Kart tonight on my Wii U. I love the game. But <laughs> show me something new. Mm -hmm. and, and Nintendo does that every so often. EA is doing that. A lot of these companies, have, they all have different names for it, and they always change. You always EA Originals or whatever. And essentially, these indie titles, that they say, you know, this looks like it could be a neat game. We'll throw some monies at you so you can finish it. So you don't have, because so many of these indie games wind up being these these stories of torment and horror where it took them, you know, 10 years to make the game because they had to make it, you know, after work. Yeah. Um, but those games, you know, the games that say, let's try something different, they're not going to make everyone want them, but they're going to make someone want them. Mm. And that's going Yeah, they're going to make the right people for that game want that game. But then they'll go out and evangelize that game to other people. Yeah. And I think that's cool. So the last thing I'm going to say, uh, the last point I'm going to make to developers is don't lie to me. <laughs> like, I I'm sorry, but uh, like, I get it. Parameters change and features change and you get feature creep and then they go, no, 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 we, we were wrong. We shouldn't include that. We have to pull that out. That happens. I get it. I know enough about the industry to know that you promise the moon and then you realize I got to back off. But when you outright lie and you know you're lying and you don't at some point fess up and say, okay, you know, we promised you A, B, C, and D. We had to cut C and D. We have to cut in half. I'm sorry. Be honest. And the best example I can give is Cyberpunk 2077, which to be clear, I've never played, but I certainly read enough about it. They promised the moon with that game. Yep. They promised Witcher 3 in Cyberpunk. But my understanding is this game is a mile wide and a millimeter deep. It's great to look at until you notice that every dance club in the city has the three, the same three sets of triplets dancing away. You know, and and that's because they didn't start making the game until like three years after they announced it. It was all yeah. just them. Like, that's bullshit. You know, the worst for this was Peter Molyneux, who made... Oh, uh, God. Yeah. Oh, he's brutal. Like, he was the one Fable of the greats. Series. You know, yeah. I'm the only guy who likes those games. I adored Fable 3. But the problem is he keeps promising and promising and promising. And it's bad enough that he doesn't meet on like meet those promises he also brings down companies and so people lose their jobs because this 
this wanker just the obviously he's British so I can say that um, <laughs> uh, this guy he make he promises the moon and then it doesn't happen and, and, and people wind up unemployed and that's not cool but he was one of the greats of the bullfrog era you know dungeon keeper is his and stuff like that and black and white one and two which are these really weird RTS games yeah uh, great games those are cool. uh, oh they're magnificent games well, those are him and I happen to like fable but every time a Fable game came out, he made promises that simply weren't in the game. Yeah. He promised this amazing open world. No, it's not an open world. He did it again for Fable 2, but it wasn't any of that. For Fable 3, he promised it a third time, and I played that game and I adored it. I actually want to play it again, because, I, because even though they don't sell it on, on Steam, I have it in my library, so I can download it. Okay. Um, I adored that game. I thought it's one of the best games I've ever played. I'm a huge fan of it. But I know that a lot of the things he promised that it would be an open world. No, it's not. It's a bunch of small open areas with roads between them. Yeah. Um, now, if, and that's bullshit. No one will buy his games anymore. Peter Molyneux is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Don't lie to me. If you have to drop something, drop it. Then be honest about that. Have a developer blog. You know, when MechWarrior 5 Mercenaries came out, and we should do that at some point, it's a really great game. Um, it came out, and they and they didn't overpromise. They were super smart. Because it was the first MechWarrior game, single-player game, in a, like 15 years. They took the MechWarrior Online engine and made it a single-player game, which was super smart, because it'll run on anything. They didn't make a lot of promises. And then they said, okay, now we're going to, add, we're going to make an expansion pack called Heroes of the Inner Sphere. And ironically, they delayed it wound up being the same week as Cyberpunk 2077, and they didn't want to get... Ooh. Yeah, ironically, they didn't want to get uh, drowned out by Cyberpunk. Turns out they should have left it where it was, and they would have. people would have said, well, Cyberpunk sucks, go buy MechWarrior, but that's another matter. But yeah. they were very open and honest and said, here's what we're going to add to the game that we didn't have the first time. So they were open and they were honest, and as soon as they had an idea of when it was going to come out, they had a release date. And, and you I, know that's just that's just responsible. Yeah, and, and it's respectful. And you know, look, there's games like um, Call of Duty. When they promise stuff, they deliver because they have so much money, it doesn't matter. Like right. they can always make it work. Or they'll say, you know, I, I've seen plenty of games that'll say, okay, we promised you A, B, C, and D, but we're having trouble getting C and D to work. They're still coming, but they're going to come a month after release. Yeah, we're sorry, but we. But and I look at that and go, I'm not angry with you. I respect you. That makes me more willing to buy your game because you looked me in the eye and said, we can't make it work yet. Mm -hmm. And respect goes a long way to get money out of my wallet. When you show me, you respect me enough to say, okay, we kind of promised too much or no, it's not going to be the game for everyone. Here's what you're getting. And here's why I go, okay, I can trust you now. Yeah. I think it was, um, I think the quote is attributed to Shigeru Miyamoto, but it was uh, a rushed game is forever bad, but a delayed game can always be great. Yeah, I'm, that sounds like him, but he's right. Like, if you look at um, Blizzard, their policy yes. is when it's done. When's yep. the game out? It's done. When it's done. When's Overwatch 2 coming? When it's damn good and ready. <laughs> yeah. And they can do that because they make a ton of money. I get some of these games, they got to get it out the door. They have no choice. And then they hope that enough people will buy it that they can continue to, you know, pay their programmers to fix it. And I get it. And that's part of the pro some of the problems we have with this industry, which is why I'm always so happy when an indie developer gets picked up by a big publisher. And that's why I love Devolver Digital because... Yes. They 
they support these guys and that's wonderful and and i'm glad there are there are publishers like this but if you're a double a or a triple a studio uh, and you have to delay by a month okay you know or strip stuff out and explain why you did it and your fans will accept that but when you lie i'm going to trust you less and less and less mm-hmm. there's a reason why fable 4 has only now been announced what 10 years later yeah that makes that makes perfectly rational sense i mean of all the all the things that we've had you know promised to us that just just didn't pan out or fell through it makes a huge difference to the eyes of the people who are who are waiting for this for years for these games to come yeah. out and it's just like you said if there's a dev blog that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Like if you could explain, if you're posting every other day, every week, what's yeah. going on in the studio, like uh, the guys who made Shovel Knight, they they had exactly that happen. There was five of them. They had no money to their name. They got their Kickstarter funding, and that was it. And they had to make it work. Yep. Um, yep. And so they wound up putting out. It was a great <laughs> game. Yeah. They put out a dev blog. I'm pretty sure every single day explaining what was going on in the game. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I like that. I mean, yeah, there's the whole uh, Kickstarter is a whole different mess where people don't deliver on the sure. Kickstarters and they sure. go, oh, what are you going to do? And yeah, that sucks. But, you know, explaining what you're doing and why you're doing it, and, and that's important. And a good example is Crying Sons, which we did. Yeah. They released all sorts of demos along the way. And he waited for input. Mm. And then he changed. And then. So he never overpromised. So you got exa- so what you got was not exactly what he'd promised in the Kickstarter, but it wasn't a surprise if you were following his dev, dev blogs, right? Because it was a dialogue with his backers. Because I think you know the one thing that to sort of wrap this up, everything we've talked about here comes down to trust. Do I trust the developer to deliver a game? Did he tell me some? Did he tell me what I needed to know? Did he push the right buttons? And do I trust him to be honest about what he's doing? It all comes down to trust. Yeah, uh, you, you need to be able to... And it, it's, it's a tough one because there's no developers sure. out there who, who go into it saying, I'm going to promise everything so I can short drift these guys and yeah. make off with the cash in the back end. No developer wants that. Everybody no. wants their wants their project to be mm-hmm. the greatest thing since sliced bread. So it, it is tough to really hold that against them but by the same token when, when they do it not, again and again and again yeah <laughs> when it's when it's a repeated pattern and there's no there's nothing forthright about it there's no statements coming out and saying look we, we had to cut these because reasons xyz yep. we tried to make this cross compatible between last generation and this generation so it just didn't work out right yep. or we wound up having conflict in leadership where we decided that yeah and i mean that one's that's a tough one to kind of come out and, and yeah you know put the blame on any one person but even still like even just saying you know there was there's internal discussions and we decided that this game was going to go in a different direction you know three quarters of the way through the development i think for for my last one here it's just i love seeing older games getting reintroduced to a newer generation mm-hmm. we had the announcement of the first metroid 2d game in like 20 years yeah um metroid dread and it looks (laughs) outstanding it's it's slightly slightly horror-y for a metroid game but it's 2d it's have you ever seen the original nes samus it looks like it's in an hr giger yes but but this brings the the fidelity up a little bit and it's not just the 
the not just the visual of it, but the fact that Samus is constantly being hunted by this unkillable monstrosity, um, which is not the first time that that's happened to Samus. It yeah. also kind of happened uh, in um, yeah, exactly. Uh, fusion, fusion, it also happened. Okay. But this is the first time where it's like, oh, you're running down a hall and you can get caught and you can watch Samus get stabbed in the face by this thing. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty intense, but it's the first time that we've had a Metroid Prime, or sorry, a Metroid game in a long time. They also announced a new Metroid Prime game, which is a whole other story. Is but, it a first person game or? Yeah, yeah, Metroid Prime is the first person. Oh, okay. Um, I've never played them, so I've never played any of them, not even the original NES game. Oh. So, I mean, I, I tried it for five minutes, but it was never my sure. thing. I um, highly recommend Super Metroid, even even today. Anyways, okay. the, the point of the matter is I want to see stories like Metroid being brought forward to another generation of, mm -hmm. of people who completely missed it, or kids, or whatever. I'm 110% in support of that. I don't have a Switch right now, so I'm not going to be able to buy it right off the hop, but eventually yeah. I'm going to get a Switch, and I'm going to buy it, because I want to support that that plan and it doesn't feel like milking it really genuinely no. doesn't because we're all aware of like okay well we're on entry six in this series in the last seven years it feels like yeah. we're flogging a dead horse here but when it's when it's genuinely resurrecting a project to bring it into a new generation hell yeah hell yeah do it right i'm all in there is a ps3 castlevania game that just dawned on me that I bought, and it's the same thing. It resonates with some. I don't even know. They're all, they're, the names are so stupid. Um, <laughs> but the game is. It looks like an NES era Castlevania. Okay. But and you and you you move your way through this level. But here's the really cool thing: the whole level's in play. So when you're more when you're playing normally, you're zoomed in and you see just your floor. But you can hit a button. And the screen zooms out, and you can see like the whole castle. It's multiple levels, and mm. people are actually shooting at you from the top, you know, the top right, and it's coming down all these levels. And it might take you an hour to get to that dude. But it was just an interesting play on the system. Like, imagine if you could play, you've played Castlevania for the NES, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Imagine if you could hit a button and zoom out and see the entire level on your screen. And now <laughs> your guy was tiny, 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 tiny. Yeah. So you could see where you were going, and it's neat because first off, it's just a, it's a it's different than a mini map, but it also adds gameplay elements because now you have to anticipate what's coming at you from way ahead of you. Right. Uh, and it's the same thing. It's like let's make an NES type Castlevania game. Let's go back to our roots, but not just make another one of them. Let's do something. Let's let's take advantage of modern technology and introduce people to a gameplay format that. Castlevania kind of gave up on a long time ago. Yeah. I think that's really neat. Yeah. I'm uh, right there with you. You know, so, uh, but it only works for older gamers because younger gamers go, oh, it's another game, but that's okay. Cause maybe it makes them look back and say, you know, this is cool. What has come before? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, if you, if you jump into something that's, you know, it's a Metroid game and everybody's familiar. Like if you, if you have a Nintendo console, you're likely familiar with Samus, even just by virtue of, Super Smash Brothers. So I mean, yeah, if you're like, if you're a Nintendo fan, you know of the series. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. But like even, you know, even some 12-year-old kid who's got a Nintendo Switch is probably familiar with Samus. They've never seen a game with Samus in it. Mm -hmm. And now, well, they, they haven't seen many games with Samus in it. Yeah. And now there's a new mainline 2D Samus game coming out 
and I, I feel like that has every opportunity to hook new gamers, new yeah, people who have never been in there. Because it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look like uh, an NES or SNES mm-hmm. uh, Metroid 2D game. Yeah. It looks very much like a modern gen one, but yeah. it's got the same play style. So I, I cool. really think it's fantastic and I'm super yeah. excited for it. That comes back to, well, I know they've done it well in the past. I trust them to do it again. Yeah, strange how absolutely. trust is coming up but yeah yeah now that devs have you know we know that every developer on the planet will be listening to this episode <laughs> at ea and we played at the board meetings they're going to shut down entire games and revamp them based on this discussion but in all seriousness we're just two gamers yeah and this is just our opinion but it's it's important to know i think that uh like i hope some developer listens to us and maybe gives a second thought to maybe i shouldn't bullshit my fans <laughs> Because ultimately that burns you. And, you know, what does it take to make people interested in my game? And it's not Booth Babes. And it's not a splashy, maybe it's not a splashy trailer. Maybe it's just show them what, show them what they can look forward to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, go from there. So I think we've pretty much gone over what it is we think gets us to buy a game. And let's see how many of them we actually go and buy. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. So there it is. There it is.